Welcome to the Word at First Prez. The sermon you're about to hear is not part of a regular sermon series. It stands on its own and can be instructive to our Christian faith in its own way, even though it's not linked to other sermons. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today comes from Acts 17, 22 through 29. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring." Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me. And woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my New Year's challenges that I've made myself this year was to read first thing in the morning and before I go to bed in the evening. I have, for the most part, completed this challenge each day. In fact, because of it, I have already read four books, and I'm working on my fifth. The fourth book I read was God, A Human History by Reza Aslan. Mr. Aslan is a renowned writer, commentator, professor, and scholar of religions, and he was actually our anniversary speaker back in 2018. 
which was when I picked up this book and said I was going to read it. Now, nearly two and a half years later, I'm actually reading it. You see, this is why I had to make this challenge for myself. In the fifth chapter, Reza starts with this story that I want to share with you now. It is the story of Atrahasis, and parts of it might sound familiar to you. When the gods, instead of humans, did the work and bore the loads, dug the canals and cleared the channels, dredged the marshes and plowed the fields, they groaned amongst themselves and grumbled over the masses of excavated soil. The labor was heavy, the misery was too much. So they set fire to their tools, set fire to their spades, and off they went, one and all, to the gate of the great god Enlil, the counselor of the gods. We have to put a stop to the digging, they cried. The load is excessive, it is killing us. The labor is heavy, the misery too much. Enlil consulted Mammy, midwife of the gods. You are the womb goddess, he said. Create a mortal that he may bear the yoke. Let humans bear the load of the gods. So Mammy, with the help of the wise god Enki, mixed clay with blood and created seven males and seven females. She gave them picks and spades and led them two by two down to the earth to relieve the gods of their labor. Six hundred and six hundred years passed, and the earth became too wide, and the people too numerous. The land was as noisy as a bellowing bull, and the gods grew restless at the racket. The noise of mankind has become too much, Enlil snapped. I am losing sleep. A divine assembly of the gods was convened, and there it was decided by all to make a great flood that would wipe humanity from the face of the earth so that the gods could finally be free of the clamor. Now down on the earth, there was a pious man named Atrahasis, whose ear was open to his own god Enki. He would speak with Enki, and Enki would speak with him. In a dream, Enki came down to Atrahasis and made his voice heard. Dismantle your house and build a boat the wise god Enki warned. Leave all your possessions and put aboard the seed of all living things. Draw out the boat that you will make on a circular plan. Let her length and breadth be equal. Make upper decks and lower decks. So Atrahasis built a boat and loaded it with the seed of all living things. He put on board his kith and kin. He put on board the birds flying in the heavens. He put on board cattle from the open country, wild beasts from the open country, wild animals from the steeps. Two by two they entered the boat. Then Atrahasis too entered the boat and shut the door. When the first light of dawn appeared, a black cloud arose from the base of the sky. Everything light turned into darkness. The tempest arose like a battle force. Anzu, the storm god, the lion-headed eagle, tore at the sky with his talons. Then the flood came. Like a wild ass screaming, the winds howled. The darkness was total. There was no sun. No man could see his fellow. No people could be distinguished from the sky. 
Even the gods were afraid of the deluge. They withdrew to heaven, where they cowered like dogs crouched by a wall. For seven days and seven nights, the torrent, the storm, the flood came on. The tempest overwhelmed the land. Bodies clogged the river like dragonflies. When the seventh day arrived, the storm, which had struggled like a woman in labor, blew itself out. The sea became calm and the floodplain flat as a roof. The boat came to rest atop Mount Nimush, and Atrahasis exited. He released a dove. The dove came back, for no perching place was visible to it. He released a swallow. The swallow came back, for no perching place was visible to it. He released a raven. The raven did not come back. So Atrahasis and his kith and kin and the birds of the heavens and the cattle from the open country and the wild beast from the open country and the wild animals from the steeps came out of the boat. And there he made a sacrifice of thanks to Enki, his god. But when Enlil smelled the sacrifice and saw the boat, he was furious. Once again, he called the divine assembly to order. We, all of us, agreed together on an oath no form of life should have escaped. How did any man survive the catastrophe? Enki the wise spoke. I did it, in defiance of you. It was I who made sure life was preserved. The gods were humbled by Enki's words. They wept and were filled with regret. Mammy, the midwife of the gods, cried, how could I have spoken such evil in the gods' assembly? I myself gave birth to them. They are my own people. So Enlil and Enki came to a compromise. Instead of imposing a flood, let a lion come up and diminish the people. Instead of imposing a flood, let a wolf come up and diminish the people. Instead of imposing a flood, let famine lessen the land. Let war and plague savage the population. The divine compromise reached. Enki came down to the boat and took Atrahasis by the hand. He took his wife by the hand. He touched their foreheads and made a declaration. Henceforth, this man and this woman shall be as we gods are. Now that was a long story, I know, but I wanted to share it with you in its entirety so that you could compare and contrast it with the obvious parallel of Noah and the ark. If you were like I was when you heard this, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, so the writing of Atrahasis and the Flood totally plagiarized from the Old Testament. The only problem with that is that Atrahasis was written about 4,000 years ago whereas Noah and the Ark was written roughly 3,000 years ago. In fact, flood epics are prevalent throughout many different religions and cultures in the world. Atrahasis may be the first one that we know about, but it definitely isn't the only. In the Babylonian Epic of Gilgamesh, the hero is Utnapishtim, and that was written about 1200 BCE, which is 300 years before Noah. 600 years after Noah, in 300 BCE, Babylonia of Berosus was composed, and our Noah in that story is called Ixthuthros. In his book, Reza goes on to explain 
that flood epics can be found in Egypt, Babylon, Greece, India, Europe, East Asia, North and South America, and Australia. Now, why do I tell you all of this? Is it to say that the Bible isn't original or that we should throw out the story of Noah because like Alex has told us time and again, it probably didn't actually happen and is just a story? Well, no, not quite. In fact, I think this is an example of how our stories, our gospel, needs to be shared. Each of these stories of the flood are different. They have differences not just in characters, the humans, the gods, etc., but they have differences in reasoning for the flood, outcome after the flood, who learned a lesson, what was that lesson, and so on. Each, as Reza puts it, reworked to reflect the particular culture and religion of the storyteller. In this way, the story of the great flood stays alive. At this point, I don't think it matters if the great flood actually flooded the whole earth or what someone might have considered the whole earth before they could have actually traveled or checked the internet to see if this was happening everywhere. Or if it never happened and was just a story that people have told for over 4,000 years. Because the story was alive. It could move and change and shift, keeping the central ideas but adjusting and evolving for the audience that it was being told to. This, in fact, was how our holy stories were before they were written down in the Old Testament. The stories of creation, Babel, Noah, Joseph, Moses, and so on, they were oral stories, told time and again, through the generations, shifting and changing with each generation's retelling, truly living among the people's lives. This is why Genesis 1 and 2 are two separate creation stories, because they are branches of whatever the original story was, each spoken through generations who needed or saw their God as different things. Genesis 1 is an all-powerful God who speaks everything into existence. And Genesis 2 is an intimate God who breathes life into the nostrils of the first human. What other stories of creation could have been in the branching creation story tree? Of course, this all stopped when we canonized our scriptures. When we put a hard front and a hard end on the stories and scriptures that we thought encapsulated our story with God. This by itself is something that I have struggled with mightily for years now, since before I went to seminary even. If we believe that scriptures are God-breathed, and we then... going to try that again, that whistle threw me off... <laughs> If we believe that scriptures are God-breathed, are we then saying that God has finished breathing? Or are we saying that God can only breathe through those specific texts? The side effect that I don't think we anticipated through the canonization of our scriptures was the isolation of Christianity. By no longer allowing the holy stories to permeate through culture and difference, we made a singular version the correct one and told anyone who didn't in fit into that version of the story that they had to get in line 
or they weren't welcome. Essentially, we shifted from allowing the story to come to you, allowing the story to shift and change and bend, to saying that no, it is you who has to come to the story. It is you who has to shift, change, and bend. This deviated even further into the culture of Christianity to the point where we have specifically Christian music, Christian books, Christian movies, Christian dating sites, and so on. On and on we go, further isolating ourselves from the world in the name of Christianity, thinking that those genres are the only canonically godly ones. We are isolating ourselves and saying, I've found the story. I'm part of it. And if you want to be part of the holy story, you have to do things the right way like I am. What I mean is that we have not only deviated from the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, but we have done a complete 180. Paul states that for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news of Jesus, he will be all things to all people. He will be a chameleon, a Jew to the Jews, someone under the law or outside of the law, depending on who, is he, who he is talking with, someone who is weak to those who are weak, and so on. And we can see him enact some of this plan from our scripture in Acts. When Paul speaks to the Athenians, he uses something that they know. He speaks about an altar that they already have in their city to an unknown God. You see, the Athenians were very pious people. They were polytheistic, meaning that they believed in many gods, but they didn't believe that they knew the totality of those gods. So in order to not offend some god that they had forgotten or a god that they didn't know, they made an altar and made sacrifices to an unknown god. Paul uses this altar to say, that that God that you don't know about, I know, and let me tell you about him. He went to them, saw where they were, and used their story to include them in the holy story. The first Corinthians passage is even stronger than this, though. Paul, calling himself and us to be all things to all people, is less of a call for attempting to become whomever you are trying to reach, and more, in my eyes, a call for empathy. It's not calling you to try and mirror culture or clothing or vocabulary or likes and dislikes. It's a deeper calling. It's a call to see where someone is, to feel with them, to embrace their life, their struggles, their successes. It's a call to walk a mile in their shoes, to understand who they are, how they are, why they are. Because it's through this that you may, as Paul puts it, win some. It's through truly connecting with them that you can invite them to see what you see. That you are part of the holy story of God. The story that hasn't ended with John's letter of Revelation. A story that permeates all of history and extends throughout the universe. A story that says that God is always moving and shifting and bending and reaching. You, yes, you are a part of the holy story of God. And you always have been. God reaches to you. God comes to you. God envelops you. God breathes through you.
And it is when we see everyone in this way that we will truly see God's holy story. And that that holy story cannot be contained in a mere 66 books. But God's big, overwhelming, holy story is beyond those pages, beyond our genres, beyond our divisions, calling us to be more than we are, to throw off the labels that we put on ourselves and others, to truly see each person as a brother and sister, and to embrace that they too are part of the holy story of God. It is our calling to see ourselves and others as part of the story. Allow that story to come to each person. See that person as another page in the storybook, and that our story isn't completed until all of the pages are included. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.